once, I think, um, and just had such a good time being your interim preacher here. Uh, it was such a ministry to me to be here with many of you, and to see some of you again, it just brings joy to my heart. My wife, Valerie, would love to be here. She hasn't been feeling good this week, and so, so she uh, says hi to all of you, um, but you wouldn't know my kids, you know, and and they were here, they were like this, and now they're like this. They're going to be 16 and 14 in a couple of weeks. Uh, so time goes on, doesn't it? You all look great, like you haven't changed. Uh, I've lost some things over the years. A um, little bit of hair. Um, hopefully, we've all gained in wisdom over these years um, and in faith, I trust. And I'm just so thrilled with what I have heard about your church over the years, how God's been working here, and so grateful for Pastor Adam's ministry, so grateful for the focus on the gospel and on the clear and uh, uh, complete teaching of the Word of God. I love that, and that just brings joy to my heart to hear about that, to be here with you. So thank you for having me today. Um, As Adam mentioned, I've been serving now for three years as a missionary to the state capitol. Uh, I planted a church in Roseville since you saw me last and um, saw God do a lot there and still pastor a little house church in Roseville. But on a full-time basis, I'm a missionary. Like most missionaries, I raise support. And uh, my mission field is that building over there, the state capitol. A friend of mine who used to be in the church I pastored up north, up near Chico for, before I came here for six years, went on to become a state legislator. So he was inviting me to the Capitol years ago to see what was going on. Um, And as I was seeing what was going on in the Capitol, I began to have a new perspective on things. You know, like many of you, I'd grown very concerned. Anybody ever concerned about what's going on in our government? (laughs) Yeah, same here. I'd become very concerned about what was going on and was praying, God, what do I do? Do I get involved in politics? How do I handle this? And uh, my legislator friend was introducing me to legislators, and I was getting to know them as people, you know? That's a little different than just as a person that we're mad at on the news or something. I was getting to know them as people, and I was having that pastor's heart for them, where Jesus looked out at the city and said that people were like sheep without a shepherd. And I sat there in the gallery overlooking our state assembly chambers, And I prayed a prayer and I said, God, these people are like sheep without a shepherd. Even though they're making these decisions for 38 million Californians, they're without you for the most part. And I understand that's why our state's in trouble. That's why our nation's in trouble. God, I don't live that far away. If you ever want to use me here at the state capitol, I'm willing. That's a dangerous prayer I found. (laughs) Because I had no plan. That was just something I just prayed. Kind of threw it out there to God, but I meant it. And about a week later, my legislator friend called and said, Frank, how would you like to step into ministry in the Capitol? There were some ministries already there that were pulling out. And so I, I wasn't so thrilled with the idea, to be honest, but because I hadn't planned on doing that, but I remembered that prayer. And I remembered how God had given me that heart just shortly before when I was in the building, and I thought, could that be, Lord, what you're doing? And as I began to pray about it and investigate it, indeed, I found that God was pulling me into ministry in the state capitol. And so that's what I've been doing for these three years, just serving as a pastor in there, seeing myself as an extension of the church, that I pastor a little church, 
and I'm going to them, and I'm being sent out, commissioned by many churches in California to go to them and bring the gospel of Christ, bring the word of God, and that's what I do. It's non-political, bipartisan. I'm not there to tell them how to vote on different things. I'm there to tell them about the Lord, about his word, about Christ and him crucified, resurrected, the fullness of the word of God, trusting that as God works in their hearts, he's going to help them to be better leaders. And if they have a trust in the Lord and a respect for his word, they'll have a guide as they make the decisions that they make. So I'm there in the Capitol every week leading Bible studies for state legislators, state senators and assembly members, leading Bible studies for staff members and lobbyists and uh, state leaders from around the Capitol area and uh, their staff and so on. Just there, just again, just sharing the Lord with them, showing up at their cocktail parties, my seven-up in hand, uh, prayerful loitering, I call it. Just <laughs> praying, saying, God, who do you want me to talk to? And it's amazing what happens at those gatherings. And I dress like the natives. I don't dress like this. Okay, just like any missionary, I dress like the natives. In that case, it's the dark suit, right, with the power tie and all of that. So just blend in. One, one state legislator who was new last year looked at me, and he looked me up and down. He said, man, you look more like a politician than we do. I said, exactly, that's my plan. I'm infiltrating your ranks. So that's what I do. Uh, and you think about it. You think about what's going on in California and how, how our state is struggling in so many ways. If you've lived as long as I have, you've noticed that. You've seen that we're struggling in many ways. And here we are in California. We're the most populous state in the United States. Okay, more than, more than 10% of all Americans are in California. And I think we're arguably the most influential state in many ways. We have Hollywood producing the media that goes throughout the country and the world, Silicon Valley producing the technology that goes throughout the country and the world, and Sacramento producing the politics, the public policy that spreads throughout California and the world. And so in many ways, what happens in California touches the whole world, and that makes Sacramento a very strategic place to be. And yet, uh, I think often it's easy for us even as Christians, to forget that we have a unique role, therefore, in Sacramento and in Washington, D.C. and throughout our country, that we have a biblical role to play. We can get so caught up in what everybody else is saying, right? And what people are saying in the news programs and what we're reading about on the Internet that we begin to think just like the non-believers. We react just like the non-believers, even though God's Word has a lot to tell us about how to think about government and how to relate to government leaders. And uh, it's easy to feel frustration with what's going on in our government. But God's word gives us a guide for how we should respond. So let me share one passage that is so foundational to that, I think. And that's in 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And you may know this passage well, but I'd just like to chew on it with you and Let's think about what this tells us about how we should relate to government leaders. And we're going to look at many other, other, many other passages as well, so if you're taking notes, you might have your pen ready to write those down. If you want to know more about my ministry, by the way, about Capital Commission, um, I'm happy to do this in California, and there are guys doing this in 18 states and growing, Lord willing, throughout the United States. And if you want to know more, you can go to our website, capitalcom.org. 
C-A-P-I-T-O-L, capital with an O, capitalcom.org. And we're fulfilling the Great Commission in the Capitol. But uh, it's a good place to learn more about it. There's some videos on there. You could watch, things like that. But 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 is such a great place to go to learn about how God wants us to relate to government. It says there, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's pray about that for a moment. God, as we look into this passage of your word and others, we do thank you that you have inspired this word in every detail for our edification and for your glory. And we pray, Lord, that you'll open it up to us now in a fresh way and open our hearts up to what you want to say to us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, what do we see here and elsewhere through God, throughout God's Word? Um, we see this, I think, that we who are believers have a mission to government leaders. And this is, again, something that I've just learned kind of indirectly, ended up in the Capitol and then started going back to the Bible to say, well, God, why would you have put that on my heart <laughs> like that that day when I was in the Capitol? Well, God's Word shows us we should have a heart for government leaders. Number one, we have a mission to care about them, to care about them, to have a heart for them. This passage says, first of all, starts off, I urge. You know that phrase in Greek, first of all, does not mean first in a list, which is what I always thought. When you look at it in the Greek language, you see what he's really saying is it is of first importance that we do this. This is first in priority. That's a big deal, isn't it? When the Apostle Paul says, this is first in priority. What's first in priority? Supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people. But then he specifies one group. Right? One group in particular. God could have picked any group to specify here, but he specifies kings, and all who are in high position. So God cares about everyone, wants all people to hear about him. But if God were picking one group to tell us, make sure you care about these people, interestingly enough, (laughs) surprisingly enough maybe, it may be government leaders. You think about it. Throughout the Bible, did God ever reach out to government leaders? Well, let's take the Old Testament. Did any of the Old Testament prophets go to government leaders? How about Moses? He went to Pharaoh, right? Daniel went to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Isaiah went to King Hezekiah of Judah. Nehemiah went to King Artaxerxes of Persia. Jonah went to the king of Nineveh. Can you think of any others? I mean, it'd be hard to think of a prophet who didn't go to a government leader. That seems to be the pattern, doesn't it? God sends His Son, Jesus. 
Did Jesus meet with any government leaders? He sure did, didn't he? He only had a brief three-year public ministry, but at the tail end of it, before he went to the cross, rose again and ascended to heaven, he made a point of meeting with every one of the key leaders in his area at that time. Nothing was by accident in Jesus' ministry, but he met with the Sanhedrin, who were Israel's supreme court, and Caiaphas, who was Israel's high priest, and Herod, who was Israel's king, and Pilate, who was the Roman governor. Interesting. And then Jesus commissioned the apostles for their ministry. And in Matthew 10.18, he says, And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. So the apostles were commissioned to go to government leaders. And Paul, one of the apostles, an apostle untimely sent, as he said, comes to the Lord in Acts 9.15. We read about it. The Lord calls him miraculously. And the Lord says to him, to Ananias regarding him in Acts 9.15, says, the Lord said to Ananias, go, for he, that's Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. So Paul was specifically commissioned to government leaders. And did he minister to any of them? Continually. In Acts 13, Verses 7 and 12, we read about Paul leading Sergius Paulus, the Roman governor of the island of Cyprus, to salvation. And then we read about him ministering to Caesar's household. It would be like going to the White House, ministering to Obama's family. We read about him going on his missionary journeys. And the New Testament letters that he wrote are to these churches that he reached on these journeys that he planted on these journeys. And, you know, most of the cities that Paul visited on these journeys were capital cities of their region. Interesting that God led him to capital cities. And then in Acts 23.11, he said he's called to testify in Rome, which was the major capital city. In Acts 27.24, he's called to meet with Caesar. And in Philippians 4.12, he brings greetings from the saints in Caesar's household. And he's rejoicing. And saying even the praetorian guard is being reached, which was like the secret service. So Paul always seemed to have that in mind, that he had a mission to government leaders. Why? Because God has a heart for them. And that opens my eyes, because it's easy to not have a heart for them. It's easy just to be upset with them. And so how should we respond to them? Well, God's Word gives us some other indications We're to care for them, but we're also, secondly, to submit to their laws. There's no mention of rebellion in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It speaks of God wanting us to have a tranquil and quiet life. Not rebel against the government, but rather, as Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.13, to submit. He says there, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors, as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. 
And you can see this also in Titus 3.1 and Romans 13.1. And this is not always easy, is it? I mean, if you're like me, you don't always want to submit to government. There are some very, very good laws that are made in our country, but there are some really bad ones too. I mean, just really bad ones. And so it's easy for us, I think, to say, well, yeah, but it's so messed up now. I mean, we can't submit to this. How could we? That, it's too messed up. Really? You think about the government that Paul was writing under in the first century, that Peter was writing under. Was it any better than ours? Actually, if you read the history of the time, you find out that it was far, far worse. Right? First Timothy 2, literally in verse 2, where he says, supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings for all people, and he specifies kings and all who are in high position. You know that word kings could be translated for emperors. Who was the emperor at this time when Paul was writing? It was Nero. This was written in about A.D. 64. Nero, or 63 maybe, sometime around there. And Nero was the emperor. What kind of guy was Nero? Was he worse than our president? <laughs> I'll tell you, if I were to, to read historians of that time who wrote about Nero, you would all be offended and leave because just reading about the things this man did would be appalling. We couldn't even read these things in public. He was vile in every way. Nero was morally depraved in every way. Sure, he did some good things. He had some building programs that were very good. You know, I, I read one of the ancient historians said he did this, and this, this can't be argued against. He expelled all of the, the mimes from the city of Rome. <laughs> He's, he kicked out Suetonius, the ancient historian, said he got rid of all the mimes and their followers. <laughs> well, that's not a bad thing, I think. Um, <laughs> But you know, he also, he also was sexually depraved in the most vile ways that we could imagine. And he paraded his deviancy in public. People had to sit there in the arena and watch him perform disgusting sexual acts. He was violent killed his own mother and a great many other people. Um, and not long after Paul wrote 1 Timothy, the city of Rome burned down in large part. And historians since that time have regarded it as very possible, likely, that Nero himself ordered that burning. He ordered his own capital city to be largely burned down so that immediately after he could build his palatial complex right where all those houses used to be. But then to make it worse, he blamed the Christians for the burning and unleashed a persecution against the, the Christians where many of them were thrown into the arenas and... Uh, killed by gladiators or killed by wild animals for sport. He lined the driveway to his palace with torches 
to light the way, except these torches were actually Christians tied to stakes with tar over them, lit on fire. And as people came to his parties at his palace, there was a long line of burning Christians, people being burned to death. That's the kind of guy Nero was. And yet Paul says, we're to pray for them, and Peter says, submit to them. Um, and so when don't we submit to government? Well, Acts 5.29 gives us the one exception. In Acts 5.29, the disciples were arrested, and they're commanded by the authorities to not speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And what did they say? We must obey God rather than men. So that's the exception. If the government ever tells us to do something that directly contradicts what God has told us to do, well, we're going to do what God told us to do because God is the higher authority. But other than that, we know that God is allowing the government to be in place, and so we submit to their laws, painful though that may be. And we honor, number three, we honor their position. You know, the cultural view of our day is maybe like when I got in an email from a friend of mine. He sent this email out to everybody, and it said this, Congress is a cesspool of liars, thieves, inside traders, drunks, criminals, and other low-level swine. Pass it on. <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> right? Maybe I should pass that on. And then I remember 1 Peter 2.17 where it says, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. All right, is that honoring them? I don't think so, Lord. How can we honor these people? Well, we can honor the office, if not the individual. That God has allowed them to be there. We realize that, right? that God has allowed them to be there? Even in a society like ours where we have a vote, God is behind the scenes. Exodus 9.16 tells how God raised up Pharaoh for his purpose. Daniel 2.21 says he removes kings and establishes kings. Romans 13.1 says there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. And John 19.11 is where Jesus said to Pilate, who was a vile, secular ruler, said, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. See, God is the one who's allowing them to be there. Now, why? Well, unfortunately, if we're honestly looking in God's Word, we have to say sometimes it is for our good, but sometimes it's God's judgment. Sometimes God allows a nation, allows a people to have sinful rulers because he's allowing them to be judged. He's backing away from that culture and allowing that to happen. Could that be the case in our country? Maybe. But regardless, we're to honor them, to submit to them, to care about them. And then number four, you see this very clearly this fourth point in 1 Timothy 2, we're to pray for them. First of all, I urge supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings even, be made for all people, specifically for kings and all who are in high positions. Pray for them. So what do we pray? Well, maybe you've 
Seen that bumper sticker? Have you seen that? That says, pray for our president. Psalm 109, verse 8. And you look up Psalm 109, 8. You've seen that? And it says, let his days be few. Let another take his office. Right? Is that how we pray? That's okay. It's scriptural. I'm not saying not to. I think that's fine. But here are some suggestions for you. Just from my own experience of serving week in, week out in the state capitol now for a few years, getting to know what's going on with our state legislators. I think it's a similar, even maybe in many ways worse, environment in Washington, D.C., where they hope to be someday. Pray for them to have wisdom. Wisdom. That's one thing I definitely pray for. Uh, Just here in California, you know, a state legislator represents up to almost a million people. State senator represents 950,000 Californians. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. Um, How can they do that without God's help? And and as I've met with legislators, uh, they share a lot of things behind closed doors, you know, in our Bible study times or when I'm in their offices. Um, And some of them confided in me when I was new in the Capitol. They said, Frank, you know, we honestly think there's never been a more difficult time in our state's history to be a state legislator. And, And I think they may be right. That if you look at a graph of how large the districts are, they, when our state started in the mid-1800s, the districts were just a few thousand people. And they've just gone up to be many hundreds of thousands. So there's a lot more people involved, a lot more money, a lot more pressure, a lot more expectations, a lot bigger issues to deal with. It's a very difficult job. And they are not superhuman. They're regular people. And many of them, believe it or not, are really trying to do a good job. And uh, one of the perspectives that I have that's interesting is I go into the Capitol, I'm the only one in there that goes there regularly probably who does not have a political agenda. And so I go from office to office and I meet with them, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, conservatives or liberals. And I just go in and introduce myself as Frank and I'm here to talk to you, get to know you, and I share my testimony of what God's done in my life and hear about where they're at with the Lord and offer to pray for them and hopefully encourage them, direct them to God's Word. And as I do that, I I get to hear what they're feeling and what's going on. And uh, like many of you, I've had my own interests in political things, my own passions and positions. But when I get to know them as people, I see something interesting. They're all kind of the same at some level. You know, at the height of the budget crisis in our state years ago when when it was a new thing to be $20 billion in debt. Now we're getting kind of used to it, but everybody felt the state was falling apart. The Capitol was having crowds of people marching around it every day, and it was just a high-stress time. And I was going office to office, and I went in to the office of a Republican legislator, and I sat down with his staff member. Staff member said, Frank, it's good to see you. I said, good to see you. I said, how are you doing? And he just put his head down. I said, Frank, I'll tell you what, this state is falling apart. It's a mess. Why? It's the Democrats. The Democrats are just destroying everything. I said, why do you think they're doing that? He says, you know, the only thing I can figure is that they truly want to see our state brought down to rubble. They want to see our state, our nation destroyed, 
so that they can reinvent it, make it what they want, but they're happy to see people's lives destroyed, everything destroyed for their own egos. And we talked about that. I said, let's pray. And we prayed, and I prayed for God to help this man and guide the legislator. And I went out of that office, and I went right down the hall, about 30 feet down the hall. And I walked into the office of a Democrat. And I walked in, and there's the Democrat staff member. Hey, Frank, good to see you. Come have a seat. And I sat down with a staff member for a leading Democratic legislator. I said, how you doing? He put his head down on the desk, and he said, Frank, it's horrible. What? These Republicans. Tell me about it. He says, Frank, they're destroying our state, and they are killing people. Literally. I said, what do you mean? And he began to talk about how because the Republicans were cutting these programs and things that he thought were important, that people would actually die and tears are flowing literally down his cheeks. Tears, they're killing people. People are dying because of these people. Why would they do that, I said. You know, the only thing I could figure is they just hate people. They hate people and they're really happy to see them die for their own ego so that they can have their power and their control and their money. But we need to pray, don't we? And we prayed. And I prayed for this man's salvation, for his legislator's salvation, that God would work and guide them. He thanked me for being there, praying with him. But I walked out into the hallway and I thought, thank you, Lord, for helping me to see kind of behind the scenes a little bit that here and here we got Republicans, Democrats, conservatives, liberals, but they're they're trying. They care. They just need wisdom. They need wisdom. And they need some other things that I pray about. Humility is one of the things I pray for most. One state legislator said to me, he said, Frank, when I was elected to political office, it was like all of a sudden I became smarter and funnier and better looking. And I'll tell you what, it goes right to their heads. And, and they know it. They, they talk about it. They see it in each other. They like it, some of them. <laughs> but they admit one Senator in our Bible study time said the problem here is we're treated like royalty. You wouldn't th- people say, in California? <laughs> really? Yeah, inside the building. Yeah, sure, they are. And how much more so in D.C.? They're treated like royalty, so it goes to their heads. They feel like they're all that. God gets placed on the shelf. So pray for them to be humbled. Pray for them to have courage to do the right thing. How many of us have ever been in a position where one decision could mean the end of our career. You think, well, why don't they just vote this way, do the right thing? Because literally, if they voted the way you want them to, it may mean immediately the end of their career. Well, they should just do that then. Well, that's, it's easier said than done. I hope that I would have that courage and conviction if I were in their place. But frankly, those who do often are no longer serving in those positions. And so the system is set up so that you go along with those who were over you, even in government, right? If you vote the courageous way, it may mean the end of your career. So pray for them to have that strength, that courage, and the spiritual strength. Do you think maybe our government leaders are experiencing spiritual attack? Have you ever felt any sense that, you know, there's a spiritual warfare going on? Listen to Ephesians 6.12, what Paul wrote about. Again, in the context of a horrible, corrupt government, he said this, 
For our struggle, Ephesians, excuse me, 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Why did he say that? Perhaps because the people were thinking our struggle is against this evil emperor, against these horrible government leaders. He says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers, yeah, powers, yeah, world forces of this darkness. And people are thinking government, government, government. Against the spiritual forces, he clarifies. Spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's a spiritual dynamic to what goes on. There's a demonic power behind some of what goes on, I believe. And when I was new at the Capitol, one assembly member grabbed me by the shoulders and said, Frank, don't stop doing what you're doing. This place is crazy. This was one of the more mature believers in our legislature. He said, this place is crazy. He says, I haven't been here that long, but I've never seen spiritual warfare in my life like I'm seeing in this place. And he's an older man who'd been following the Lord for many decades, and he was just, just torn up by what he was seeing as he believes spiritual warfare was at work in the Capitol. And I think it's true. Uh, many legislators have told me that they've never felt the temptation that they felt in their lives since they, prior to begin getting into office that, as they are now. They talk about this all the time, actually, behind closed doors. And that's something I didn't think about before getting into the Capitol, how we send people to be our government leaders. And in California, with a full-time legislature, it's like sending kids off to college. And often we don't equip them for that spiritually, even if they're a believer. And they're thrown into an environment that's filled with temptation of every kind. One senator said at our Bible study this year, he said, he says, you know, Frank, he says, when you get into this place, there are people who will go out of their way to find out what tempts you the most and to provide that to you in abundance, whatever it is. And around the table, all these others said, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Men and women, legislators have told me this. They are struggling, and if they're not, they see that their colleagues are. They're out almost every night, and it's, I'm sure the same with our federal leaders. They're out almost every night at events, multiple events, fundraiser events, campaign events, lobbyist events where people are putting drinks in their hand, where people are fraternizing with them, and their families are far away almost every night. So how do we pray? Well, pray for them to have strength. Pray for them to have these other things, courage, humility, wisdom. How do we do it? You know, there's, there's so much to pray. How do we do it all? This is what my encouragement to you is. Whenever you see a, a leader, a government leader on TV or on the Internet, in the news somewhere, you hear them on the radio, just at that moment, stop and pray for them. Pray for our president. Pray for your congressional leaders. Pray for your state leaders, your city leaders. Just stop and pray. God commands us to do it. We're continually reminded about them by our media. So make that a reminder to pray. And what else should we pray? Well, back to 1 Timothy 2. He says, pray for these people, kings, all who are in high positions. Verse 3, this is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So the context of this passage, if you look at verse 4 in context, all people to be saved, you see what he's saying is, is God wants all people to be saved, but especially, don't forget government leaders. God wants them saved. 
You ever think about it that way? To pray for their salvation? You know, that's our greatest mission as a church. You see, lots of people in our society can be involved politically, and I think we have a wonderful opportunity to do that too. We're living in a country that's a government of the people, by the people, for the people, supposedly, right? So that's us. It's good to be involved. But only strong believers are going to understand 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. We can't expect non-believers to do this, of course. We can't expect people in cultic groups to do this. We can't expect other people of other faiths to do this. We can't expect people, no matter how moral they are, who aren't committed to Christ to do this. Only we can do this. Only we can pray for their salvation. And that's our greatest responsibility. The church is not a political action committee. Can we evolve politically? Sure, but we have a higher calling. And that's to pray for their salvation and to bring them the gospel. If we're praying for them to be saved, let's make sure we tell them how to be saved. Romans 10.14 says, How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And as we read in the Bible and we see Paul appearing before these government leaders, what did he talk about? It's interesting. I love reading Acts 26, 27, now that I'm in this ministry, because you see the Apostle Paul going and meeting, because he was in chains, <laughs> a prisoner, but meeting with government leaders. They took, took him before them in Caesarea, and they, the King Agrippa was there, and, uh, and Festus, who was the Roman leader, was there, and they're saying, come on, Paul, tell us. What's your defense for being arrested here? You know, Paul could have taken that opportunity and they were there and it says there was a huge gathering of people. They brought him in with all this pomp and circumstance, a big gathering of government leaders and people there. Paul could have just started going off about how they're just destroying the world by their corruption. And he would have been right. But instead, what's he do? He shares his testimony. He shares about how Christ worked in his life and how the Lord wants to work in theirs. So much so that in Acts 26, 27, we see King Agrippa saying, or we see Paul saying to him, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Bam! Prophets saying they spoke about Christ. And then Agrippa replies to Paul, in a short time, you're going to persuade me to become a Christian mockingly. And Paul said, oh, I wish to God that whether in a short or a long time, not only you, but all who hear me this day, who's that? Government leaders, staff, family, all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. And I say, well, what a waste. They're not going to listen, Paul. And I feel that a lot when I'm in the capital. You know, rejection, 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 rejection. But that's up to God, isn't it? Our role is to proclaim the good news to a lost world, to pray for a lost world. God is the only one who can change a heart. We have a ministry of presence in our society to be the light, to bring the gospel and leave the results to God. And I wonder how our government might change if all the energy that Christians put into political action, let's just say this, if even half of it were redirected to prayer and sharing the gospel with these people. There was recently a law that was just signed by the governor last week. I won't even say which one, but some of you know the one I'm talking about that has had Christians in our state in a huge uproar. And all this political collection just went on in the last week and it failed to 
to overturn this law. And I'm in the Capitol while Christians are yelling about this on the radio and emailing everybody. We've got to get everybody signing these petitions to repeal this law. And I'm in the Capitol standing next to the guy that wrote that law. And I'm trying to share Christ with him. And I think he's a well-meaning guy. He really believes this law that so many Christians are opposed to, he believes it is the right thing. And I'm thinking, where are the believers? I mean, how wonderful if the Capitol was mobbed by believers who came up to him and said, Senator, we want to pray for you. To pray that his heart would be enlightened by God. If he could begin to see that the believers there aren't out to attack him, but to help him. Could that happen? Who's to say? But it's our mission to bring the gospel to them and to pray for them. And I'm often amazed at how God works. The people who I think would respond often don't. And then I go to the the person you think wouldn't, the extreme, you know, liberal, anti-Christian, and I go to them and the tears are coming down their face as I share the gospel with them. They go, look at that. This person slammed the door in my face. They've got the Bible on their shelf and they're the conservative, you know, Christian supposedly. This person over here who's the great sinner from the Bay Area, right, is crying about the gospel. What's God doing here? So let's keep that in mind, that our mission is to lead them to salvation through prayer and evangelism and then to disciple them. 1 Timothy 2, finally, it says, God desires all men to be saved and what? To come to the knowledge of the truth. So we need to help them to know the word of God. And frankly, most of them don't, even those who claim to be believers. And that's one reason we see the mess that we're in. You know, you go back in history and you see that most government leaders 200 years ago, even if they weren't really Christians, they knew it. They knew what the Bible said. Funny people talk about some of the founding fathers. Well, that one wasn't a Christian and that one wasn't a Christian. And that may be true, but you read their writings and they sure didn't know what the Bible said. I mean, they maybe didn't like it, but they knew it. Today, they just don't know. So we need to make sure that we're teaching them. And how can you do that? I encourage you. Again, pray for them. But as you have opportunity to go to your city leaders, your county leaders, and then, of course, your state leaders, your federal leaders, to tell them about the Lord, to invite them to your church. Not to speak necessarily, but just to be in your church, to go to your small group. To, you know, Let's do that. Let's just invite them. They're just regular people. Yeah, they're busy and they probably won't come and everything, but let's make that our mission to make sure we invite them, that we reach out to them, that we tell them about the Lord. One thing I'd like to see happen is to see every legislator have a pastor linked with them, going to them in their office at least a couple times a year to say, hey, I'm here if you want to me to pray for you. If you want to be discipled in the Lord, I'm here. Just a pastor to reach out to every one of them as I'm trying to do. What are the benefits of that? Well, 1 Timothy 2 implies it there. It says in verse 2 that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life. Peaceful and quiet life. See, we benefit when a legislator turns to the Lord, when a government leader turns to the Lord. We benefit when we have mature, godly, biblically knowledgeable, humble leaders in our country. We then have a rudder to guide us in our society. That's the way it's supposed to be. The church is fulfilling its purpose to bring some to the Lord, to disciple them, and then they're steering the rest. 
into doing what God is pleased with. John Adams, our founding father, right, one of them in our country, George Washington's vice president, the second U.S. president, said that famous sentence that you've heard. He says, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. You see, that's the problem in our country. We're losing sight of being a moral and religious people. So the country's falling apart. John Adams is right. So what's the response? It's a spiritual response to help them to know the Word of God. Our greatest problems, in conclusion, I just want to share with you to think about this. The greatest problems in our country are not political. They're spiritual. They're spiritual, and so we as believers hold the answer. If we see our country is in a mess, we should look at us. Okay, why are, what, what are we doing wrong here? Because the, the answers are spiritual. That's why the problems are spiritual. And so we hold the answer. In short, we're to fulfill the great commission to our leaders. Remember, they're not the enemy. They're our what? Our mission field. How's that for a change in perspective? If you'd like to hear more about what I'm doing and what's going on in the Capitol, you could sign up to get email updates. There's sign-up sheets on the back table or some brochures if you'd like. But let's pray right now. Father, thank you that we have this privilege of knowing you and walking with you and enjoying you. And Lord, we know that many of our leaders don't, don't understand that. God, I pray that we will fulfill what you would have us to do towards them, to do what your word says, to pray for them. Help us, Lord, to share your good news with them as we have opportunity. Lord, help us to submit and honor them, even when that's so hard, but to do it out of worship, out of reverence for you. Lord, I pray that we will be people who please you in this way and that you'll use us and use believers throughout our land to represent you well in a dark and needy world. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.